item-level radio frequency identification. It's the new frontier for both retailers and suppliers. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. RFID has been around for decades, even dating back to World War II. More recently, there's been a lot of progress toward the use of RFID tags to mark cases and pallets of retail product. But the real potential for RFID to lower costs and enable visibility throughout the supply chain is at the item level. And up to now, that's only been a dream, held back by issues of cost and resources. But not anymore. One of the champions of item-level RFID today is Joe Andrasky, for many years a supply chain executive with Nabisco, and now the driving force behind an effort to realize the full potential of RFID. Joe joins us on the show once again, this time to talk about his work, the results so far, and a paper that he's working on in conjunction with several other supply chain pioneers to lay out the value of item-level RFID for suppliers. Up to now, the focus has been largely on retailers, but this new approach foreshadows the real RFID revolution. So here is my conversation with Joe Andrasky. Hey, Joe Andrasky, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Robert. It's a pleasure for me to be with you today. I should say welcome back. We enjoyed hearing kind of your life story before, but now we're going to bring you up to date, and we're going to talk about what's going on right now, what kind of work you're you're doing, because uh, you don't rest, do you, Joe? You're always interested in what the next big thing is, and what you're working on right now, I understand, is RFID at the item level. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, Robert. Yeah, yes, I am. It's interesting because, you know, when RFID first emerged as a possibility and Walmart put out that mandate to its suppliers, at that time it was just pallet and case level. Nobody was really thinking of item level as being feasible. That has changed, and, and why is that? Well, it's, it has a lot to do with the, the technology companies. Uh, they've, they've gone ahead and developed a technology uh, that allows item level to be uh, efficient and productive. But it also has to do with um, the University of Arkansas and, and uh, Bill Hargrave and, and Justin Patton and, and, and some thought leaders in the industry uh, that, that really helped uh, bring it together. And when I was with VIX, we uh, developed pilots with, with Bill Hargrave and University of Arkansas and Justin. Uh, we did develop pat- patents with Macy's, uh, J.C. Penney, and, uh, and Dillard's. And uh, as a result of those pilots, and because Bill and the team knew so much about the technology and the technology companies that were involved were, were so skilled at what they were doing, we found that there, was, there were benefits beyond what we were expecting. And I will never forget the, uh, the meeting that we had with Macy's. Uh, actually, it was a meeting, a Macy's meeting, where uh, they had... Uh, uh, um, a Macy's representative from the um, the uh, the stores 
that were to uh, begin to implement uh, item level RFID in, in all their stores, taking it one product group at a time. What year is this, Joe, that you're talking about? Oh, I want to say this is 2014. That had been in 2000, I want to say 2011, 2012. Okay. Probably 2011. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Macy's was the big pioneer in that effort? Yeah, I, I would say Macy's really did a great job. And you know what was great about them? That they shared. Not only did they, they take it forward, they, they talked about what they did, how they did it. Their, their CEO went uh, public and talked about what they were doing and how they were doing it. And, and it led them to uh, omni-channel. You know, there's a lot of buzz about omni-channel in retail today. And in omni-channel was going to be what was going to save the department stores, you know, the bricks and mortars. Uh, but, but Macy's understood, and I'm not so sure everybody's on the same page, but Macy's understood that unless you had timely and accurate information, omni-channel may not work. Because if you tell a consumer that you don't have it in store A, but you have it in store B 700 miles away, and they'll have it the next day, if that product isn't there, if the inventory in is, is inaccurate, then you're not going to be able to make that happen, and this, the consumer is going to be upset, and they're not going to go for that again. It's always garbage in, garbage out. Well, you know, I was at a, a session uh, just this past week, and uh, they were the discussion was around you know supply chain, logistics, what have you, and 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 that the subject came up about what what are you really looking for? You know, what what are you professionals really looking for? And uh, visibility came up. Uh, we, we really want visibility. We want, we want timely visibility. And I, I sat there and I listened to it. And I said, well, you know, you're probably not going to be happy with me, but I'm saying, what I'm saying, or what I'm hearing rather, is that you want visibility to inaccurate information. Because <laughs> we all know that the information, inventory information we're getting today using the barcode is inaccurate. By its very nature, with line of sight, you know, 6 to 12 inches of, of, of sight, uh, you can't get accurate information. You can't read what's inside the pallet. You, you, you can't get a, a good read on what's inside cases that are being shipped to distribution centers or I- I- any of the steps that are being taken today using the barcode. You're going to end up with inaccurate information. We've proven that time and time again. So it was the barcode technology itself that was preventing these these retailers from gaining that 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 uh, that visibility. Well, yeah, but I want to be fair. I mean, it was barcode thirty years ago was the first big game changer. When the barcode came out, it made a tremendous difference. And I can remember back in the early '80s when I was with Nabisco, and we were one of the first companies that used the barcode and RFID. To automate our warehouses, our our, our four public warehouses, our custom, uh, private warehouses, and then our, our public warehouses followed us in step, uh, and that that was a big a big move, and, and our accuracy improved tremendously. It was really good. I mean, it was a good step to take, uh, but but that was basically in the grocery industry where you know if you had a case of uh, of, um, of cashews, you knew in that case there'd be you know 36 jars. And it was always the same. Well, you know, in in the other retail business, you get a case, but it might have, you know, six pairs of socks and three pair of underwear, and you know, and the socks are different sizes. And when you do the the item level RFID, you're going to get a specific read on every one of those socks. You're going to know how many pairs of socks 
You're going to know what kind of size, what size they are, what color they are. I mean, that's the magic. And and, and the other part of the discussion was, uh, you know, we have to do something about um, uh, uh, counterfeiting. Oh, I said, gee, that's interesting. Are are you aware that EPC Global is a GS1 product? EPC Global uh, has the ability to provide a serial number down to the very skew, and, and you can determine exactly what that product was, where it was made, who made it, what's the color, and so on and so forth. And there are a number of people who are not aware of it. And, and that, again, takes me back to what I think is one of the biggest barriers we have for as much you know, progress as we've made. Education still remains one of the biggest barriers we have, Bob. And I'm, really, truly. I'm surprised, too, because I thought the EPC Global effort was pretty widely disseminated. I thought a lot of these industry standard work was doing a very good job of getting the word out to industry of what they were doing. But I guess that's not necessarily the case. Well, I think it's probably the case, depending on the industry. Okay? Uh, there are going to be different industry verticals out there uh, that aren't aware of some of the work that's gone on. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. When we were looking, there was an article that was written and then a, a webinar that was conducted on uh, counterfeiting uh, jewelry and, and, and other high-value items uh, and, and the, the billions of dollars uh, that were involved in counterfeiting. And, and the fact that had we been using the serialization using the EPC, it would have been a step in the right direction. Uh, but, in fact, that wasn't happening. So, But, but you know, there, again, in, in, in when it comes to education, we have to realize that there's always going to be a turnover. You know, you're going to have a turnover management, you're going to have turnover supervisors, you're going to have turnover people who do the work, and that skilled people who are going to retire may not necessarily have passed on what it was that they were doing in their in, in managing their business, or maybe not all the, the detail around it, or maybe there's other priorities that were found. This happens constantly, so unless a company has a very uh, well-thought-out strategy and an and a orientation program that helps people understand what to do, how to do it, and what the, the, uh, the priorities are, then you're going to run into this, type, this, this, yeah. this void, this, this education void. But were there other problems other than the shortcomings of barcode technology? In other words, did companies need to do some business process change, the way, change the way that they tracked and stored inventory, the way they bought inventory? I imagine these retailers have pockets of inventory all over the place. They may or may not know where it is or what's in it or how often they can get to it. Is there a certain amount of work they need to do in that area before they even approach the issue of technology? Yeah, but that's that's the answer. You can't you can't do it manually. That, 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 you hit on it, Robert. That's exactly the point. Because if you take just the movement of a pair of jeans from uh, from Mexico uh, through all the steps of uh, the supply chain till it arrives uh, in, in the United States and it gets to uh, a distribution center, from a distribution center it gets out to a store. Within the store, ah, guess what? You can track a product and have a pretty good idea. Now, on a case level, not necessarily every individual item, but when it gets to the store, it gets lost. You just don't know where it. You might have a general idea. Oh, yeah, let's see. I think we put jeans down on the second floor up there on the third rack. But guess what? You may not have. I put it that way there. You know, you got temporary labor. You got other situations going on, and so that's what we found. That's what the retailers found, and they were quick to admit it. 
Yeah. The product would be anywhere in the store, anywhere along the, the track. And there's so many different uh, steps along the way. And that's why I, I, I you know, really came strongly to believe, and, you know, because I was involved in, in uh, you know, the, the warehouse management system. I was involved in sales and operations planning. We, we put it into Nabisco way back when. Uh, we were working on it, but it became clear that it, all, all the triple exponential smoothing we were doing and all the algorithms that were being used and every all the steps we were taking was all designed around getting the information as accurate as it could possibly be knowing full well going in that it was inaccurate. So we did all of that, but nevertheless, we still ended up with those problems. We still ended up with the product being incorrect. Uh, and, and, you know, then it was data synchronization, how important that was. Because we found out for as well as we managed our business, not all our customers did the same, uh, 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 the sa- took the same steps to ensure that the product they had was properly described and with the right information. On the contrary, each of the big retailers, I would imagine, have their own way of doing things, right? I mean, oh yeah, they certainly do, but they're very cooperative as well. I mean, every one of those, those big companies, they understand the value of having synchronized data. They, they really do, and so there's a number of them out there that are doing a really fine job. Uh, and you know, here, here's magic. Um, just um, the other day, well, I guess it's about a month ago now, uh, I, I got an award from um, RFID Journal. Uh, an achievement award, even though I'm not in the business anymore, they they gave me this achievement award b- because of the way I've stayed on top of and maintained my interest in item level RFID and how I have continued to p- push industries forward as best I can. Well, what I find out down at their conference is that Marks and Spencer, uh, you know, one of the premier retailers over in Europe, is now going with item level RFID in all of their stores for all of their products, with the exception of food. Wow. I mean, I tell you, that's a big, that's a big move. Just starting now, or have they already implemented it throughout? They're, imp- they're in the process of implement- implementing it, and they'll have all the stores up and all, all the SKUs up uh, by the, uh, in 2015. Wow. I also want to take you back to the Macy's thing, though. I mean, what, what happened with that? Did that? Was that really the kicker? Does that really got what got item-level RFID into motion for the first time, the fact that Macy's undertook it, and how successful was that effort? Well, it was very successful. I mean, clearly successful because they got the board behind it. They got their senior executives behind it. They are really moving forward, and it, and it fits into their overall business strategy. So they'll have 820 stores. They're going to have the products that are going to have item-level RFID attached to it, and then they'll be able to use that in the various other strategies that are really dependent upon accurate information. So, yes, there's no doubt about it. But having said that, I think there are other companies out there that were engaged, but not uh, visibly so. I mean, they they weren't necessarily uh, going public with what they were doing. Uh, Because at the same time the the announcement came out about Marks & Spencer, uh, Kohl's also made an announcement that they're moving forward with item-level RFID. Not as rapidly, not as many SKUs, not as many stores, but nevertheless, they're moving forward. And it's my guess there's a number of other companies out there, other retailers out there that are in various stages of investigation and or implementation. What about what about Walmart, which, of course, started out, as I said before, with case case level and pallet level? Have they uh, delved into item level yet to any oh, great yes. degree? I, I think they have, but I, I don't have any you know information that I can share 
uh, about what, in fact, they've been doing. But I, but I do know that, well, we all know, Walmart's always out there. They're, they're always doing what they can to make the shopping experience better for the consumer. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep their prices in line with what they believe is competitive. So, yeah, I, I think if uh, at some point in time we're going to hear from Walmart about everything that they're doing. I think I saw, I can't remember exactly the details, but I think they're talking about nine billion tags that will be used this year. And I think, and I don't quote me on this, but it's pretty close, like 2018, they're about, I think they're looking at like 20 billion tags that are going to be used. Wow. So it's just it, it's going to go. There's, Bob, there's no reason why it won't. Well, you know, one of the big issues of you know some years ago was tag cost. I assume that that's been brought down to a reasonable level by now. Yeah, well, it it has been coming down. But let me answer that other part of your question, which is what I what what am I interested in now? Well, I began thinking about all the work we did in item level RFID for the retailer and proving the value for the retailer. And then I thought about, you know, knowing full well that our inventory accuracy at Nabisco was incorrect, supposing we had accurate information for Nabisco, what would that have done for our uh, sales that we, uh, we missed because the inventory was wrong? What would that have done for our two weeks of, of safety stocks that we, st- stock we always carried and all the costs that are associated with safety stocks? You know, warehousing space, transportation, uh, damaged product, out of data, and so on and so forth. And so when I began to think about that, I thought, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised that with the advancement that technology has made today, you know, with the readers and the cost of the readers have come down and tags have come down, so on and so forth, that we're just liable to find that there's a substantial value that the, uh, uh, the uh, supplier will be able to find. And so to that end... Uh, I've marshaled the team. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it, there's no cost to play. Uh, we, we've got uh, a number of people uh, who uh, have, have agreed to participate. Uh, Kate Vitasic is going to in, in, uh, get involved, in, uh, and Ann Gracken and, and a few other uh, individuals, along with uh, a couple of technology providers. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, write a paper. Uh, after doing sufficient amount of research and investigation into what is the benefit, what are the benefits that a supplier can find by going forward with item level RFID. I mean, if you have the cost of the tag anyway, then for a supplier, then it's a matter of the readers and and, and what steps you're going to take to be able to read that information. It's my guess we're not that far from making that move. And once we do that, then the next step is, let's take it all the way back to raw materials and packaging supplies. Can you just imagine, just step out of our, our way we do business today and imagine if we had a total supply chain from really from beginning to the very end that we had information timely and accurate and so easy to capture to be able to manage and do so much better job of, of taking care of our business requirements? That's coming. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Now we just got we got to prove the case out, and you know, and as time goes on, the technology, just like we've seen in every other piece of technology or supply chain, as time goes on, it's going to come down. The costs will continue to come down, and the benefits are going to continue to grow, and people are not going to hesitate. They're going to want to get into the game, and they want to do it right.
But I thought it, I thought everybody was already sold on the value and the benefits of RFID. You really need to do another paper in order to push that case? Well, no, no. Keep in mind, Bob, we did it for the retailer. Oh, this would be for the supplier then. Ah, that's the key difference. Ah. We never, ever stopped for a minute to say, what was it for the supplier? Mm-hmm. We, we said all along... Well, you know, it, it's a cost. We just we just assume. You know, I hate that. You know, when we both assume what, what that definition of assume is. Um, so that's that's the answer. So let's let's look at it from that standpoint. And I think by the time we get done, there's going to be additional progress that's going to be made. And I really do believe that that is going to be the answer because I think when you when you think about it, Bob, there have been. There's been great progress made. The technology companies have been wonderful, you know, with big data and with the cloud and, and, and uh, APC and what have you. There's a lot of great work that's been done. But if you think about it, there's really been no game changer. The cost of percent of sales for these different areas has basically stayed the same across all the businesses. Mm-hmm. So what's the next big game changer? What's really going to change it? And that's going to be accurate information from beginning to end of the supply chain. So for the supplier, it's more than a case of, well, you need to adopt RFID because Walmart told you to, and otherwise you won't get their business. So you get beyond the mandate thing, and you show actual value, proactive value, and then going ahead and doing it. That's the magic. That's where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's where it's going to and, and, and when we begin to think about it, it's like, because I can remember when I worked for Nabisco, we, at one point in one plant, we had five uh, uh, manufacturers of corrugate. Uh, servicing that one plant in, in, in different areas around the, the geographic areas around that plant. And, and just imagine the amount of money that was was in, in, in just in corrugate alone. And we had it out there because we just wanted to make sure that we never ran out of corrugate. <laughs> just having accurate information, boy, it's going to make a big difference for you. So this RFID tag... I guess it's more than theoretical, but this is the same tag that could be used to track and show visibility in the raw material stage, at the factory, at the warehouse, in transit, and on the store shelf. Is that correct? The same tag for all that? I I, I absolutely believe that's that's true. Now, uh, keep in mind that uh, there's going to be some differences because, you know, there's going to be liquid in in some of the products and there's going to be metal. But the industry has already made those changes, you know, and, and in fact, you know, the tag might be a little more expensive, but it's going to be co- uh, consistent with the price of the product. So there's a business case that will be developed, taking all these factors into consideration. What about food? What's the holdup on food? Well, I, I think again, it's it's because as it got started, they said food isn't isn't an answer, uh, isn't isn't a. Uh, uh, opportunity. It has to do with the price of food, uh, and you know, a can of soup could be selling for a dollar seventy-seven cents, but uh, then it's cans and it's liquid inside, and that's not going to work. So, uh, actually, what I'm trying to do right now is reach out to some of my uh, uh, contacts in the food industry uh, to begin to uh, see if we can. Uh, we got a little interest in doing a few pilots on the food side. Think about it. You know, there's a tremendous amount of food that's moved around in this in our country uh, today. And so if we can get a better handle on food, then we're going to do a better job with controlling food inventories as well. Yeah, I don't see that happening tomorrow, but I do see that that's down the road. And of course, the value of chain of custody in food and the food safety regulations, it seemed like that would be just the perfect technology to help companies 
kind of uh, com- comply with that. So when can we expect to see this paper? I would say in a year from now. Are you, are, or sooner. are you cooperating with any universities at the same time, or is it just going to be kind of a private effort, a few individuals putting this No, no, this no, no. It, 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 it's open-ended. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we're more than happy to invite, uh, you know, like, for example, uh, um, University of Tennessee, uh, where, where uh, Kate is, and, and uh, Lloyd Reinhardt, uh, they're going to participate. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, it, it is what there's, – there's no barrier to participation. Are there any industry organizations such like, for instance, you have a long association with VIX, any industry associations or organizations or standards bodies that can help make this case or push it a little further along? Oh, oh absolutely, and, and we, we, we've kept it open. Robert, there, there, there's no barrier to participation, uh, and we also said there's no cost. We, we want to make sure that if you want to play in a game, you don't have to worry about trying, you know, that there's going to be some sort of initiation fee uh, we're, we're going to limit the amount of travel. We can do most of the work using webinars, and I've got this small team that work I work with here that uh, can and has some new technology for webinars, and it's amazing what we can do with it. So uh, it'll be communication that we can handle, either on the phone or we can do it with the various technology pieces that we have in place today. If people want to know more or they want to keep apprised of your efforts and keep up to date on what you're doing, uh, where might they go or who might they contact or how, how might they stay in touch? Just have them come to me at my, uh, my email address. And Which, is? Which oh, is? Oh, it's Joe at Collaborative Energizer. That's all one word. Dot com. Okay, and I will also put that in the show notes so that they can see that and they can click on it and take yeah, it directly directly to you. Well, Joe, <laughs> just like all my conversations with you, I feel like after half an hour, I've barely scratched the surface. So I'm going to want to revisit this at some point very soon. But in the meantime, we're going to have to close this out. But thank you once again so much for joining us and helping us to understand, you know, where this technology can really take us. Thanks a lot. Hey, Bob, you're more than welcome. I always enjoy speaking with you, my friend. And you call on me in any time. Take care, buddy. Well, that was my conversation with Joe Andrasky of Collaborative Energizer. Hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to check out Joe's new book, My Incredible Supply Chain Journey, proceeds from which will go to the Wounded Warriors Project. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, Watch nearly 2,000 videos and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.